Hello, and welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I'm speaking to you from the Code Conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. We just kicked it off, and I just interviewed Susan Wojcicki, who is the CEO of YouTube. This is a conversation we want to have in any circumstance, but given the events of the last week, we're very grateful that we got to do it in front of a live audience, uh, and you can listen to it right now for free. Thank you for coming. Sure. I'm really glad we get to have this conversation. I'm glad we get to do it in public, on stage, on the record. That's great. Let's start here. Um, There was a bunch of news last week. Some of it involved you, some of it involved Vox.com, where I work. There was a policy change. I think they all sort of happened at the same time. Can we just walk through what happened and if there are parallel tracks or they happened at the same, if they were connected? Sure. Um, So first of all, thank you. A lot of things happened last week and it's great to be here and talk about Um, what happened. Um, But I do want to start because I know that um, the decision that we made was very hurtful to the LGBTQ community. And that was not our intention at all. And and Should we just set context for anyone who's not following this, what decision this was? Yeah. So let me, let me, I'll go into that. But um, I thought it was really important to be upfront about that and, and to say that was not our intention. And we were Really sorry about that, and um, but I do want to explain why we made the decision that we did, um, as well as give information about the other launch that we had going on. Um, so really, there were two different things that happened um, at the same time. And you know, the first one I'll talk with is we made a really significant change involving hate speech. Um, that this is something we had been working on for months. And um, we launched it on Wednesday of last week. This is a series of policy was, changes you've been rolling out so for So just to be clear, we've all, yes, yeah, so, so we've been making lots of different policy changes on YouTube. Um, we have made you know, about 30 changes in the last 12 months. And we made, this past week, we made a change in how we handle um, hate speech. Um, And that took months and months of work and hundreds of people we had working on that. And that was a very significant launch and a really important one. Um, And what we did with that launch is we made a couple big changes. Um, One of them was to um, make it so that if there's a video that alleges that some race or, or religion or gender or group, protected group, Um, is superior in some way and uses that to justify discrimination or exclusion that would now no longer be allowed on our platform. Um, Similarly, if you had a religion or race and they allege that inferiority, um, that that another group was inferior and they use that to justify um, discrimination in one way. Those were changes that we made. So examples would be like race X is superior to X to, to, is superior to Y and therefore Y should be segregated. Is it weird to you that you had to make a rule that said this shouldn't be allowed, it, that this wasn't covered either by an existing rule or that you had to tell your community, look, this is not acceptable? Uh, well, so actually it's a lot of this, you know, if we're a global company, of course. And so if you look at European law, there are a number of countries that have a really strong hate speech law. Um, and so this country, this a lot of this content had never been allowed in those countries, but had actually been allowed in the US and, and you know, many other countries. And so what we had actually done with it a few years ago is we had actually had limited features, um, meaning that it wasn't in the recommendations, um, it wasn't monetized, it had an interstitial in front of it to say that um, you know, this was content that we found offensive. 
And when we did that, we actually reduced the views to it by 80%. So we found that it was effective, but we really wanted to take this additional step. Um, and we made this step on Wednesday. We also added, which is really important, a few other definitions to protected groups. So we added caste because YouTube has become so significant in India. Um, and then we also added victims of verified violent events. So like saying the Holocaust didn't happen or Sandy Hook didn't happen also became violations of our policies. Um, and so this was happening on Wednesday and we launched it on Wednesday. Wednesday. And there were, um, you know, there were thousands of sites that were affected. And again, this is something that we had been working on. This was coming already. It coming already. We had started briefing reporters on about it um, in Europe over the weekend because they're ahead. Um, mm -hmm. And the, you know, the train had left the station. And then at the same, um, on Friday, there was a video um, or we, we heard the allegations from Mr. Carlos Mazza, who uploaded a video on Twitter with a compilation. Works at Vox.com. Who works at Vox.com, yes. And with a compilation of different video pieces from Steven Crowder's channel, putting them together, right, and asked us to take action. Um, each of these videos had, had harassment. And the people who follow him are, are attacking me uh, outside of YouTube as well. Yeah, so we look, yes. So he, he alleged that there was harassment associated with this. And we took a look at this. And you know, we tweeted back and we said, we're looking at it. And um, you know, there, Steven Crowder has a lot of videos. Um, so it took some time for us to look at that and to really understand what happened um, and what, what, you know, what, where, where these different snippets um, had come from and see them in the context of the video. And so actually one of the things I've learned whenever people say there's this video and it's violative, like take it down or keep it up, like you have to actually see the video because context really, really matters. And so we, we look through, a large number of these videos, and in the end, we decided that it was not violative of our policies for harassment. And were you so? Were you looking at this yourself personally? Vox is a, is a relatively big site; it's a big creator. Um, were you involved in this directly? Um, I mean, I am involved whenever we make a really important decision because I want to be. I want to be looking at so it. So you were looking at the videos. Well, so we have we have you know we have many many different reviewers. Uh -huh. They will do a review. Again, there are lots of different videos um, produced by Stephen but Crowder. I, in, He's been a long time. But in, in this case, did you weigh in personally? Did you look at the stuff? Um, I mean, I, yes, I, I do look at the videos and I do look at the reports and the analysis. There were, like, again, I want to say there were many videos and I right. looked at the, you know, certainly at the compilation video. So when the team um, said, was, we believe this is non-violative, this doesn't violate our, our rules, you agreed with that? Well, let me explain to you why, uh -huh. um, why we said but that. A, you, and, but you agreed? Um, I, I agree that that was the right decision. And let me explain to you why I agreed that was the right decision, okay? So first of all, like when we look at harassment and we, th and we think about harassment, there are a number of things that we look at. First of all, we look at the context of, you know, was this video dedicated to harassment or was it a one hour political video that had, say, a racial slur in it? Those are very different kinds of videos, one that's dedicated to harassment and one that's an hour long. So we certainly looked at the context, and um, that's really important. We also look and see, is this a public figure? And then um, the third thing that we look at is, you know, is it malicious, right? So is it malicious with the intent to harass? And for right or for wrong right now, malicious is a, is a high bar for us. And so the challenge is, like, when we get an allegation like this, and, and we take it incredibly seriously, and I can tell you lots of people looked at it and weighed in, if we were, um, we need to enforce those policies consistently. Um, because if we were not to 
enforce it consistently, what would happen is there would be literally millions of other people saying, well, what about this video? What about this video? What about this video? And why aren't all of these videos coming down? And if you look at the content on, on the internet and you look at rap songs, you look at yeah. late night talks, you look at a lot of humor, you can find a lot of, of racial slurs that are in there, or sexist comments, and if we were to take down every single one, that, that would be a, a very so significant... So stipulate that you take it seriously. I want to come back to the idea that there's a ton of this stuff here. Well, so what we did commit to, and really this is... I think are really important is like we committed, like we will take a look at this and we will um, work to change the policies here. So, you know, we want to be able to, when we change the policies, we want to, we don't want to be knee jerk. We don't want it to be like, hey, I don't like this video or this video is offensive, take it down. We need to have consistent policies. They need to be enforced in a consistent way. We have thousands of reviewers across the globe. We need to make sure that we're providing consistency. So you, your team spends a bunch of time looking at it. They come to you at some point and they say, we don't think this is violative. You say, we agree. You announce that, and then a day later you say, actually, we do have problems with this. Well, so, well, okay, so we did announce it, um, and when we announced it, if you look carefully at the tweet, what we actually said at the end is we're looking at other avenues. Uh -huh. And that's because we actually have two separate processes, one of which is like, is this content violative from just the purely community guidelines? But then we also have a monetization guidelines. And that's because we have a higher standard for monetization. We're doing, you know, we're doing business with this partner. Our advertisers also have a certain expectation of what type of content they are running on. And so we had the first review. We said it doesn't violate the community guidelines on harassment, but we'll take a look at our harassment guidelines and, and commit to um, updating that, which actually had been on our plan anyway. I had actually put that in my creator letter um, um, that I had just done a few weeks ago, saying that we were going to take a hard look at it. But we had been working so hard on the hate speech. And so our teams were caught up on that, but that really had been next on our list. So we have a higher standard for monetization. So then we did announce the monetization change that Steven Crowder was, his monetization was So was, was that suspended. in reaction to people reacting to you not reacting? Or was that no. something was, that you were already planning to, to do and just hadn't got around to it? No, we were in the process of looking at that. And when we look at these accounts, there are many different components that we look at. And that's actually why we put the line. There are other avenues that we're still looking at. And that might have been too subtle um, if I were to do it again. I would put it all into one. Do it in one go. Yeah, I would do it so all in one go. So you said we're not go, kicking you but off, we're but also, we're not going to help you make money on YouTube. We're suspending monetization. Meaning we're not going to run ads against your stuff. If you still want to sell racist coffee mugs or whatever you're selling, that's your business. But we're not going to help you. We're not going to put an ad in front of your stuff. Well, we said we're not going to put an ad in front of it, but the conditions by which we may will turn it on um, can be broader than, uh -huh. than just that. So, um, for example, if they're selling merchandise and linking off of YouTube and, and that is seen as racist or causing other problems, that we, that's something that we will discuss with the creator. So, so one more question specific to because this. Because again, we are, we're having, we're like putting advertising there. So we right. need to make sure that the advertisers are gonna be okay with it um, and we have a higher standard. And so we can sort of look at all different parts of that creator and, and what they're doing um, and, and basically apply that higher standard there. So people I work with at Vox and other people are saying, well, one problem we've got with all this, in addition to what seems like a back and forth, uh, is that we don't understand why you made the decision you made. There's not enough transparency. We can't figure mm -hmm. out what rules he did or didn't break. And also, by the way, it seems clear that he did break these rules. But, but they're asking for transparency. They're asking for more understanding of what went on 
here in this specific case. Is that something that's reasonable for someone to expect out of you and out of YouTube? To say, here's exactly what happened, here's exactly what, what broke the rule for us, here's exactly why we're demonetizing it? Which case are you talking about? Well, in the case of the Crowder Maza stuff, but for anything, right? So we try to be really transparent. Um, we communicated numerous times, including publishing a blog explaining some of the rationale for our decision. Um, we try to be really transparent with our community, with our guidelines. And we get that request actually a lot from our creators because they want to know like, what's allowed on your platform, what's, what's not allowed from a monetization standpoint. And so we do get the request for transparency. And we're, we are working to continue to be more transparent and explain um, you know, why something is a violation of our policies or not. So you were talking earlier, you said we have to take this very seriously because if we make a ruling here, someone else is going to say, look at this rap video where they use this slang term. Yes. Um, this to me seems like the actual issue you've got across YouTube, which is you're doing this at scale, 2 billion users, what's 500 hours of content uploaded every minute. It seems like no matter what decision you make in any particular case, someone is always going to come up and say, what about this? Or they're going to say, if this is the new rule, I'm going to figure out a way to skirt around it. Or someone's going to say, by the way, you're going to see content that you have never contemplated showing up. Um, it seems like at the scale you're working on an open platform where anyone can put anything up, that you guys are always going to be on this treadmill. And no matter how many humans you throw at it, no how much AI you train up, you can't actually solve this problem. Do you have confidence that this is something you can actually get a handle on? We can definitely do and continue to improve uh, how we manage the platform. And I see how much improvement we've already made. So for example, if you just look a few years ago, two years ago, there were a lot of articles, a lot of concerns about how we handle violent extremism. Um, and if you talk to people today who are experts in this field, you can see that we've made tremendous progress. And you know, at the end of the day, we're an information company. Um, we have the access to Google, some of the algorithms there. Um, we have the resources to deploy. Um, we've committed to having, last year we committed to having over 10,000 people who are working on controversial content. Um, and so I see how much progress that we have already made. So, um, you know, like I mentioned, we've made all of these different changes to our policy. We actually have just, just made changes to our um, recommendation algorithms as well um, for not violative content, but borderline content. And we announced that we've seen a 50% reduction in the views coming from recommendations from that. So if you combine the combination of much better policies, tighter policies, and we consult with you know, many third parties to try to make sure that we get them right and we're hearing from all parts, all parties, um, you combine that with technology to be able to, to do that at scale, I think you can be in a much better place. And, so you and get I'm not better, but can you get it to the point where, where we're not seeing a story about something awful happening within YouTube on a sort of weekly basis? Can you get it where this thing is, a, is an exception to the rule? At the scale that we're at, there are always going to be um, people who want to write stories. But Well, there's also but, people who want to put terrible things on your website, right? You, you guys talk about the fact that you took down 8 million terrible pieces of content in the last quarter, mm -hmm. right? And you, you, that you're proud of that because you were able to, 75% of it, no human ever saw. If I ran a business with people dumping that much sludge onto my property on a quarterly basis, I would really th rethink what I'm doing. And it seems like, I mean, I just can't fathom why there's 8 million pieces of terrible things coming onto your site on a quarterly basis, but that, that would really upset me and worry me. 
Well, it matters what's the denominator. Like you, you gave the numerator, right? And so, you know, we have a large denominator, meaning we have like lots of content yeah. who's uploaded and lots of users and and lots of really good content. And um, you know, when we look at it, you know, what that what all the the news and the concerns and the stories have been have been about this fractional one um, percent. So if you talk about the other ninety nine point, you know. Um, what, you know, whatever yep. that number is, like that's all really valuable content of people who are sharing valuable points of view that we haven't heard about, educational content, um, um, addressing really important issues. And so I think it's important to remember that and put that in perspective. And I, I say that not because we are not committed to solving the you know, fractional 1%. Like we are very committed and I've been really clear that this is, that responsibility is my number one priority. And there is a lot of work for us to do. I acknowledge that, but I also know that we have tremendous tools at our um, fingertips that we can continue to invest in to do a better job. And so yes, well, there may be something that slips through or some issue, we're really working hard to address this, and I think we have some good tools to do so. What if YouTube wasn't open? What if I couldn't upload a video that I wanted to without asking you for permission? What would, what would that do to YouTube? What if, you shut, what if you had some sort of barrier to entry that required me to get some kind of permission to upload something before it went up there? I think we would lose a lot of voices. Um, I, don't, I don't think that's the right answer um, because we would lose a lot of voices and a lot of people who share content. Sometimes we hear from creators that they started sharing content, like they started doing, I don't know, like you look at Saul Khan, right? He got started almost by accident, right? Um, who now creates very valuable educational content. But what I think is the right answer that you're alluding to, but not quite, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna improve. I'm gonna sure. improve a little bit your suggestion here, which is having more trusted tiers. Um, in a sense, we've already started doing that with monetization, saying, look, you can't just come onto the platform and have monetization on day one. You have to have a certain number of views. You have to have a certain you number of hours. You asked. have to be in good standing. And so that's an example of where we have more of a trusted relationship with them. So we think, you know, we do the similar thing with like live streams in terms of certain number of views that you have to have. Uh, sorry, subscribers that you need to have. So I think this idea of like, not everything is automatically given to you on day one, that it's more of, we have trusted tiers. But there's still at, at, at bottom, you can put stuff on YouTube without asking Everyone for can it. start, everyone yep. can start. Everyone can be their own media provider. Um, but in order to get some of the broader distribution or to have monetization, it, it's something that you work your way up is to. This, uh, Insistence that the platform has to be open. I can think of a business reason for that. I can think of legal reasons for that, right? Section 230 gives you legal protections, but you have to not actually uh, prevent someone from uploading something. Um, and I can think of ideological reasons why you want the platform to be open. Which one is most important to you? Um, sorry, I'm trying to remember them all. You said business, business, reasons? legal, ideology. But you can add as you can. I mean, I get, I, mean, I get that, all... I get that more voices is better. But if having unlimited voices has a problem that is always going to. It, look, it's a, it's, a core, it's a core issue. If you want to limit it and say, hey, we're only going to have like a select set of people, like, how, but what are, the, what are the factors that you're determining that? How are you deciding who is getting to be on the platform and have speech and who's not? But you are deciding fundamentally, right? You have teams and you have software and you weigh in. People, you are we, fundamentally making a decision at some point. We do, but that's after they've been on the platform and we have an understanding of, um, of what they're doing. It's based on the, the content that uh -huh. 
people have uploaded. So I, I think, look, open, we see all these benefits of openness, but we also see that that needs to be married with responsibility, and you do need to have more of this responsibility in place, and you need the different ways to understand what is the content that you should be putting in recommendations, what is the content that you know, should be promoted for different use cases. And, and YouTube deals with a lot of different cases. So we deal with you know, entertainment, music, like why should we say some, like some people can, new musicians or old musicians, like why would we want to close something like that? But there is a world, right, where people make those decisions all the time. The traditional media does this. You, the New York Times or NBC or Vox knows what's on their website because they said, yes, let's publish this. Let's, let's distribute this. You guys don't know. That would make, again, make me just fundamentally nervous to be running a platform with two billion people on it. And I don't know what's happening on it. Well, well we have a lot of tools. We work hard to understand what is happening on it and, and really work hard to enforce the work that we're doing. And I think if you look across the work, I think you can see that we've made tremendous progress in a number of these areas. And again, I'm not saying we're done, but I think you can see that we've made progress. And if you were to fast forward a couple years and say, well, what would that look like next in 12 months and then another 12 months, what are all the different tools that have been built um, in place? I think you'll see that there'll be a lot of progress from that perspective. Your boss Sundar uh, described uh, the problem you guys are dealing with in an interview this week on Axios as a search problem. Is that the correct analogy to think about the problems you guys are facing? Well, I think what he, I don't want to interpret necessarily what he said, but you know, if you look at Google, Google has uh, done, you know, Google was first founded on delivering information, right? That's, the, that's been the mission of the company, to organize the world's information. And you look at like, our first patent, it was about PageRank. And PageRank is actually about figuring out who is authoritative on the web, who are the people that you should bring up for any different query. And so being part of Google for informational queries is a really, really important part of, of how we'll build some of these systems going forward. And again, like when you talk about music, or if you talk about cooking, or you talk about DIY, these other categories, like you want to discover new people. You want to have those fresh ideas and you want to see a variety of content. But when you're dealing with really sensitive areas like news or medical, like you want to have, you want to get those from authoritative sources. And I think there's an opportunity. That's where we work with Google and we learn a lot from Google and, and we think we can do a better job that way. There's a lot of discussion about regulation and what kind of regulation makes sense to, to use with, with tech companies, including yours. What, what regulation would be helpful to you and what regulation would you not want to see at all? Mm. Well, I, I agree there's definitely more, uh, more regulation in store for us. And you know, one of the groups I've been working, that we've been spending a lot of time, has been Article 13, which is the copyright directive in Europe, um, now named Article 17. And I think what we have seen is that a lot of times regulation is really well-intended. People want to you know, change society for the better, but it has all these unintended consequences. And so the the, the, what I would say is really important is for us to be able to, to work closely with these different providers, um, the different governments, and be able to explain you know, how, to, how can we really implement it in a reasonable way, how to make sure there aren't unintended consequences that they didn't think about that actually might make the situation worse, that they just, because they're not running our businesses, don't necessarily have that visibility. Uh, there's, a, there's a push to break up some of these companies. What would happen if you were split off from, from Google? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I've been point. really busy this week um, working with all these other, um, other concerns. So I, I don't know. I mean, we would figure it out. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, one more specific video question. Uh, 
BuzzFeed wrote about a, a, a creator with, with some popularity who'd made a, a series of, of problematic videos. I hate that I just use the word problematic. Of, of offensive videos, and one of them was a death threat aimed at you. You took down that video and another video. Her channel is still up. Um, which brings me back to this sort of whack-a-mole where you guys are sort of sifting through videos as they come to your attention and saying, this one's a problem, this one is okay, this one threatened to kill me, but she can still stay on the site. How do you feel about having, her, her name is Soph. <laughs> How do you feel about having her on YouTube? Uh, well, uh, so let me, uh, we, you know, like I said, like I mentioned beforehand, Every single time there is a controversial video, you really need to see the video and you need to understand what's happening. And she you know, has a large amount of um, political satire and political speech that's in her channel. The video where she made the threat to me was struck and we removed monetization from her channel uh, because like I said, we have a higher bar for monetization and that was an that was issue. Um, Look, I think there's certainly different levels of, of, of threats in the videos and different ways that we would interpret it depending upon the context of who is the person and what they're saying. Um, and in many cases, we would terminate the channel if we thought it was a channel that was dedicated um, to a number of, uh, I don't know, hateful harassment, et cetera. But in this case, it was a large amount of um, political speech. And so seeing it in context, we struck the video, removed monetization, but left the rest of the channel up. And there's been a lot of threats directed at you and, and other YouTube executives in the last few days since you announced your policy. Um, I assume some of that, again, is ideological. Some of it is that you've got these creators who, who are trying to make money on your platform. And I think that's a difference between what you do and what Google and Twitter do. Generally, most people aren't making a living on Google or Twitter. And people can legitimately do that. And then you had a, a, a YouTuber who was angry about being demonetized, I think, and, and killed someone, came onto your campus and killed someone a couple years ago. What's that like to sort of manage that teeming group of people that you don't really actually manage? Uh, well, first of all, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I will say there was a, something in your question that I don't totally agree with. Uh -huh. I think it's really important to clarify. Um, you talked about, um, you made this association of creators who... Uh, could be upset or angry or difficult, and then you allege, right, that it, it ties to monetization. And again, I want to... often make that argument. Well, I, I want to um, just be clear that, again, it's this 99 fractional 1% problem, but I also want to point out that because we have a higher um, bar for monetization, that you know, that we're really, like, this isn't a business problem from that perspective, right? Like, we're focused on having high-quality content available for, um, as part of our ecosystem. But we also want to have a broad range because we, we, wanna, we wanted to keep it open and enable lots of different points of view to be on the platform. And anytime that you have a bunch of creators or, or people are upset, like, it's difficult. And, and, you know, it's certainly, you know, this week, it was unfortunate we, like, managed to upset everybody. Um, and we're working really hard to try to do the right thing. And it was really in our effort to be consistent that we wound up um, upsetting people. So it's not an easy job. Um, it's, a, it's a tough job. But 
I am encouraged by the fact that I hear so many good stories of people who have been able to pursue their passions, start a career, have a business on YouTube, talk about how they learned an instrument or um, learned something new they never thought they could do beforehand. And so it's really all the good. It's the 99% of good, valuable content that I'm really encouraged, that uh, keeps me motivated and passionate about what I do. I have more questions, but I want to open it up to the audience because I think they're going to have questions too. Sure. I assume there's a microphone, maybe two microphones, lights. If you can introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Steve Kovac from CNBC. I was wondering what goals and metrics Sundar and your other bosses give you that you're evaluated on and how or if have those have changed over the years. Yeah. Um, well, so, you know, I think like any company, we use multiple metrics to evaluate our success. And so we have at the, you know, sort of the top of our pyramid, quality and responsibility right now. And so when we talk about quality, we're talking about recommendation quality, search quality, comment quality, et cetera. Um, we talk about uh, responsibility. We talk about rolling out changes to our recommendation services to make sure that we're recommending the right content to our users. Um, so those are the top line metrics that we have. And so we put that at the top of the pyramid because it's really important. Have over the years? Excuse me, what? Has, has that pyramid changed over the years? Um, it, ha it definitely has, it's certainly evolved over time. Um, I mean, there are lots of other metrics, to be fair, that we look at, like how many creators do we have on our platform, um, revenue, et cetera, um, how are users engaging with our videos, right? Number, daily active users, like, um, so yes, there are many other metrics that we use, but we have been really focused on putting these at the top to For a be long clear. time, you guys were pushing for watch time, right? You wanted to get to a billion hours. In retrospect, was that emphasis on watch time a mistake? I mean, we, so we, we definitely, um, you know, we've always had lots of different metrics, to be clear, um, not just one. And when we actually introduced the watch time metric, it was the goal of a quality one at the time, because we, so what we saw is that views a lot of times caused click spam or people clicking on content that they didn't really want and we thought watch time was the best way to show are people really engaged. Um, but we have evolved in many different ways. So we also started adding satisfaction into our recommendations. So after people watch a video, were they satisfied with those videos? Um, and that's another, that's an example of how our metrics have, have evolved. Okay, we got a lot of folks. We'll try to go okay, quick. Great. Okay, uh, Susan, Mark Mahaney at RBC. Two questions, you pick which one you want, the near-term and the long-term. Near-term, in the March quarter, there was a real sharp deceleration in growth, ad revenue growth at Google, some talk about product changes. Maybe that occurred at YouTube. Do you have anything you can share, any light you can shed on that? And then the other question is bigger, and it's what Peter was asking you earlier. You've been at Google since the beginning of the beginning. Do you think the company has become too big that it really should be more, much more closely regulated than ever was in the past? Google grew up against, in a way, one tech monopoly. Do you think it's become another tech monopoly? So um, I'll take the second question, um, <laughs> given, the, given the two. Um, so I did just celebrate my 20-year anniversary at Google, and it was pretty amazing to see the way Google has evolved over time. Um, I mean, I, I can tell you, you know, from my vantage on, on YouTube is like this, if you look at all the people who are getting into video um, and big, well-resourced companies all getting into online video, this seems like an incredibly competitive time. Um, I'm also often asked the question like, what about X, Y, Z, all these other providers? So I see that competitiveness. Um, I also see some of the advantages 
like I mentioned beforehand, like if we are going to focus on um, really some really hard computer science information problems, I think that's what Sundar referred, like being part of Google really helps us because we're able to use different signals and technology that they have to be able to figure out what's the right way to do our recommendations. You need to be this it. big to solve the scale of the problem that well, you have because you're so big. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> having enough scale does help us build uh, systems that are world-class to be able to address this. And so I, I do think there are some advantages of that, and there's some technologies that we're able to learn from Google and those techniques that really benefit us. So I do see that there are some real advantages um, where we're able to deliver a better product because we, we have some of the, you know, we run on shared infrastructure and there's some technology that, that we can borrow and, and, or just even techniques that we can learn from on how to deliver the right information. We'll take two more questions real quick. Hi, Neil Patel from The Verge. Um, you're the CEO of YouTube. Do you think you've set a fair goal for your policy team to create a single coherent content moderation policy that covers beauty influencers and tech YouTubers and how-to channels and political comedians? It feels like you've set them up to fail. First of all, we have many policies, right? And one of the things I've learned from from spending a lot of times on these different policies is that there could be certain areas that need a different set of policies. Like, I'll just say news and information is a whole category in and of itself. Um, and this is actually why it hasn't been so simple to solve, because we need to be able to solve each of these different areas with a different set of experts, deep understanding, um, different technology, for example, in news, we have misinformation cards. Um, we have authoritative ranking, breaking news shelves, right? So we have a bunch of different uh, product solutions. And then I think from a policy standpoint, we also are going to have different policies as they appear in different verticals. Do your creators know that they fall under different policy regimes? Um, well, people know that if they create... Look, there's some standards like how we handle harassment or how we handle hate that applies to everyone. But what I'm trying to say is that um, if you're in the news category and you're producing misinformation, there could be a set of cases that really only relate to news. And so I'm just saying that we're not, we're trying to understand how to cover everything across the, the from a policy standpoint. But when we identify, look, there's a problem over here, it's specific to this area, specific to this industry, we're also going to look and say, well, what policy should we change, make that will really affect this effectively? I'm going to change my policy. I'm going to let two more because I want to have Ina okay. go and I want to ask, I'm going to okay. let Kevin from The Times ask a question because he wrote a really good story this weekend. So sure. super quick, Ina. Yep. Okay. Ina Freed with Axios. You started off with an apology to the LGBTQ community, but then you also said that you were involved and that you think YouTube made the right call. A lot of people don't really feel like that's an apology and are concerned that YouTube flags LGBT uh, positive content just for being LGBT as sometimes, uh, you know, sensitive and yet slurs are allowed. And I'm curious, are you really sorry for anything to the LGBTQ community or are you just sorry that they were offended? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I'm really personally very sorry and I, it was not our intent. Our goal was, you know, YouTube has always been a home of so many LGBTQ creators, and that's why, that's why, even though it was a hard decision, it was made harder than it came from us because we've been such an important home. And, and even though like we made this hard 
this decision, which I'm going to get into a little bit more with your question, but I'm saying we've really, like YouTube, we have so many people from the LGBTQ community, and we've always wanted to support the community openly in spite of this hard issue that we've had right now. So I'm just saying people have gotten a lot of criticism, like, why are you still, uh, you know, why did you change your logo to rainbows even though you made this hard decision and it's because as a company we really want to support this community um, it's just that from a policy standpoint we need to be consistent because if we look if we took down that content there would be so many other so much other content that we would need to take down and we are not we we don't want to just be knee-jerk we need to think about it in a very thoughtful way be able to speak with with everyone, we'll speak to people from the LGBTQ community, um, make sure that we're incorporating that going forward in terms of how we think about harassment, um, and then make sure that we are implementing that in a fair and consistent way going forward. And you know, I think that it was, it was a hard week at, across the board, and I, I am truly, truly sorry for the hurt that we caused that community. It was, it was not our intention at all. And I, I do wanna, like, not that I want to take away in any way from the hurt or the challenge of, of what happened this week, but I do want to let you know that many changes that we made in the hate policy, which, uh, again, is a different set of policies, we think will be really beneficial for the LGBTQ community. Um, and there are a lot of videos there and a lot of ways that that community is attacked where we will be taking down those videos going forward. And we will be very consistent. If we see that, we will take it down. So again, thank you for your question, and I really, I really do apologize for the for the hurt that we caused. Kevin really does get the last question. Okay, Kevin. Hi. Um, the story that Peter mentioned was about uh, radicalization and a 21-year-old um, man who says that YouTube helped sort of radicalize him into the far right through his recommendations, and. As part of that story, I, I got to ask a lot of people about YouTube and radicalization, but I never got to ask you. So I just, I wanted to ask you, do you, do you think YouTube is having a radicalizing effect on our politics? You know, we offer, as you know, and you've researched a broad range of opinions. And we have, you know, we've looked in all of these different areas across the board. Um, and we see that we are offering a diversity of opinions, right? So when people go and they look up one topic, whether it's politics or religion or, or knitting, like we're gonna offer a variety of other content associated with it. But we have taken this radicalization concerns very seriously, and that's why at the beginning of January, we introduced some new changes in terms of how we handle recommendations. And I, I know you're, you're familiar with them, you referenced them, but what we do for just for background for the other people is that we basically have an understanding of what's a content that's borderline. Um, and when that content is border, borderline, we determine that based on a series of different raters that we use that are representative of different people across the US. And when we determine that, um, we're able to build a set of understanding of what's considered borderline content and then um, reduce our recommendations. So we have reduced by 50% the recommendations that we're making of borderline content. Um, and we're planning to roll that out to all countries and to 20 more countries this rest of the year. So um, I think the combination of the changes that we're making of our policies as well as the um, changes that we've made to our recommendations are gonna make a really big difference. But just to restate Kevin's question, yeah. do you think YouTube helps radicalize people, particularly on the right? I, 
I mean, I, it's like, you know, you've done lots and lots of research on this. You know, our view has been that we are offering a diverse set of content to our users and that, you know, users, we're, we're providing that diverse set and, you know, users will, you know, choose different types of content for them to see, but we see that we're offering a diverse set over time. And, but all the same, like, we really want to be able to address it, and that's why we've made the changes that we have made. We could do this double length, but we don't have time. Um, Susan, thank you for coming. Sure, Thanks thank for taking you. my questions. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. Uh, if you liked that interview from Code, good news. We've got plenty more coming on this feed, also a Kara Swisher's Recode Decode feed uh, over the next days and weeks. So we already tuned in, but uh, know that we have much more of this fresh content coming your way. Thanks.